Welcome to The Breakdown with Brad Gorp and Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Becky Scher. And I'm Michael Broadcorp. We've had a lot of conversations about issues on the national and international stage lately, so today we're going to go local. We're pleased to be joined by Christine Troyan from the Minnesota Parents Alliance. Minnesota Parents Alliance is a new organization that seeks to work with families across the state to ensure that every parent who wants to get involved in their child's education has every resource they need to do so successfully. They host education events and online forums working towards positive and lasting changes for education in Minnesota. Next week on November 7th is our off-year elections with school board races as a top priority. With Christine, we are going to break down how the Minnesota Parents Alliance came to be and why she, a Minnesota mom, chose to get involved. We will break down the importance of local elections and where you can find necessary resources for who is on your ballot. And we will end by breaking down what we should watch for on Election Day and talk about Education Minnesota's impact on everything. We will close the show by discussing our football picks, how the Vikings beat the Packers, much to my husband's dismay, and what I will an- anticipate or when I will anticipate potentially overtaking Michael in our Pick'em's League. Girl can dream. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. So, Michael, today that this is being released is Halloween. Halloween is a very special holiday. For me, as I may have mentioned before, I grew up in Anoka, which is the Halloween capital of the world. So um, I've got pumpkins and spiderwebs and, you know, ghost pictures. My child knows very few words. He knows a handful of animals and what they say, but he knows that a ghost says boo. And he tells me boo pointing at the ghost hanging from our chandelier almost every day. So um, it's a big thing. We're teaching him right. How's Halloween in your household? I'm a big Halloween's my favorite holiday. I love Halloween. House is decorated outside, inside. It's been scary movies. It's been a lot of candy. It's been a lot of treats. I love Halloween. I love trick or treaters. It's great to have them out. It's going to be a little cold this year. Decide what I'm going to do. Maybe outside. And usually what I do is I have put a fire in the little fire pit in the driveway, a little heater out there. I'll show Charlie Brown, Chris, Charlie Brown Halloween or some other kind of maybe some Scooby Doo. Something like that out there and pass out candy to the trick-or-treaters. I just love it. It's just a great, fun night. Halloween is my season. I'm going to miss it when it's gone, but my kids are fully participating in trick-or-treating. I love it. It's just a great, just it's just one of the best holidays. It's my personal favorite, and it's just tops out there. I do want to give a shout-out. This past weekend, I went on a ghosts and caves tour in St. Paul with my family. And it was just awesome. Go around in a tour bus in St. Paul, see a bunch of fun, spooky places. It was just a great, so that's a that's an unpaid for plug to the Ghosts and Caves tour. But I just had a great time. It was awesome. I love Halloween. I'm always sad to see it go, but there's always next year. I do have to ask, trick-or-treating as a kid. Let's, I want to cover two subjects on Halloween before we go. Trick-or-treating as a kid, did you have, what did you, is there a costume that you went as when you were a kid pretty consistently? No, you know, I changed it up. I was, you know, I don't think I was ever super creative. I was a hula girl. I was a cat. I was a baby one year, you know. I think I I did all of the, you know, little DIY home costumes. Nothing really stands out. Um, But it's fun, you know. I've always loved doing it. And, and, you know, you get to go walk around, get free candy. You get to share it and, you know, 
analyze what you what you got. Give your almond joys to the mom. My mom loves the almond joys. It was always her favorite. Um, but yeah, so this year we're taking. So we did this weekend also on unpaid plug here. Um, took my son yesterday up to Forgotten Star Brewery, um, just off East River Road. They do a story time once a month, and so it was a costume party. And man, usually it's in the back room. This thing was the entire brewery packed and hour early. Um, super, lots of parents dressed up. I did not dress up. My son was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Um, super cute. And then, uh, he's going to be a woolly mammoth, uh, tomorrow. Uh, That's great. Yeah, it's pretty cute. Um, he, I, I doubt he's actually going to wear the headpiece to it, but he still looks adorable and, uh, it's, it's pretty fun. So tomorrow, last year, you know, he was only four or five months old, uh, at this point. And so we're actually going to hit a couple doors, um, up with my sister and my nieces tomorrow. That's fantastic. Those are great memories to have. Um, I was Dracula a lot growing up. I was pretty, that pretty consistent over a few mm. years. I was pretty much Dracula. And my last Halloween was the Halloween snowstorm of 91. So I, didn't go trick-or-treating, so I kind of feel a little gypped about that. I will ask very quickly not to go too far into your bad food takes. What Will, will you pass out uh, candy at your house? Um, you know, we actually are having that debate currently because we are going to be gone until about 7.30, and then we come home, and then it's bedtime, and so the baby will be sleeping. So I think we might, you know, pull that bowl out front um, so people don't ring the doorbell, but uh, – We'll definitely be giving some candy to the kids. Okay, so you'll be giving candy out. I didn't yeah. want to have to come by with my kids and mm-hmm. throw my pumpkins in your yard. So you'll be giving out candy, right? Yes, yes. Good. Your favorite candy then? I think we did this on a food take, but you're a 100,000 grand bar? Yeah, 100 grand, 100, bar? 100 grand bar. And this is like the prime opportunity because they are, you get the mini bite-sized ones. I, I love them. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big 100 grand person, Kit Kat, Three Musketeers, and... Milky Ways. I love those. Those are great. I do want to give a shout out to one thing. My neighbors a couple years ago passed out, I think it was specifically for me, they passed out a pocket constitution and I still use it. It was fantastic. Oh, only you. I bet you none of those children do, but that's very nice that. It's great. So um, I'm a big, big candy person, big Halloween. I'm excited for t- uh, tomorrow. This episode will come out and uh, thanks for sharing those stories. I got one more. I just got to say my husband, huge sweet tooth. And he has two favorite days of the year, the day after Halloween and the day after Easter when all of this extra candy goes on sale. So uh, it's, you know, Wednesday's a big days for those who celebrate that opportunity as well. I know. It's fantastic. The candy is just great. And here's yeah. the thing. One one last story I'll have. The size of things have – I didn't have full size when I was a kid. Yeah. True. And now we're passing all full size. And that seems to be the industry standard. I think kids are getting gypped now if they go to a house and it's not full size candy. You got to pass off full size. And well, maybe I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear that you're putting the bowl out because if you weren't, that was going to be an issue. Well, Well, we'll do. We'll do that at least. That's right. Well, happy Halloween, early Halloween, you and your family. You as well. We are excited to be joined by Christine Troyan right now. Christine, you are with Minnesota Parents Alliance, which is a relatively new group. Can you discuss a little bit about how this group came to be, got started, and what void is it working to fill? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, so I'm I'm the founder, and I will I will take full uh, responsibility for this organization, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, I started kind of this journey in 2021, just in my home community, and 
um, was just really recognizing that local elections, particularly school board elections, are the ones at the bottom of the ballot that no one really pays attention to. And I know I am guilty of like checking a ballot like 15 minutes before I'm headed to the polls to just be like, who are these people? Does anyone know them? What do they stand for? You know, are they good, bad? You'll call a friend, um, someone you know. But um, I just felt like there was a real lack of of information for voters on like who are school board candidates and like they matter a lot. And I think that we discovered some of that in, you know, 2021, there were a lot of parents that were upset with like COVID restrictions. And that was like the height of people that, you know, they were showing up at school board meetings, um, not, not happy. <laughs> Nobody, very few people show up at a school board meeting when they're totally happy with what's going on. So um, that, that temperature needed to be lowered. I knew that right away when I saw that happening in my own community and I saw that happening in surrounding districts. Um, it was kind of like the, wow, this can't be good, <laughs> but it's really good that people are paying attention. So, um, I think when I saw, you know, kind of friends and people I knew run for school board and not be successful that year, I thought they were great candidates. And I just knew that they had full-time jobs and like young kids and they filed, you know, August 15th to run for their local school board. And you have an election like two months later, it's not that that time frame is not enough to get your message out. In my opinion, I think that's a really compressed time frame to make the voter contact you need, let people know what you're about, what you're running on. Um, so I think there was just like this huge uphill battle. And it's like, finally, we have people that are engaged in their local politics, which is great, but they're in such an uphill battle that they're going to disengage because they just feel like, wow, what's the point here? Like, I'm never going to win. Um, I'm up against probably incumbents who haven't ever really had a contested election in many situations. We saw a lot of districts where, um, you know, there have been people on the school board for like 20 plus years. <laughs> and so it was just, it's it was a, it was a strange situation to kind of watch that play out. And I just realized, that there needed to be some sort of support mechanism for what I thought were really great parents that were stepping into the ring to try to serve their local community. And they just didn't understand. They don't know how to campaign. <laughs> they didn't really understand the landscape. Um, and candidly, nor did I, but I just knew that there are people who understand this and we should figure out how to do this better so that parents don't get disengaged and walk out the door. Um, I think we've seen just a huge unenrollment in our in our local districts over the last couple of years for a variety of reasons. Um, and I just I don't think that's healthy for our local public schools either. So part of the reason I started this in 2021 is I just saw there was an opportunity to support parents. Um, and so I kind of just took one step after the next and decided that this is a statewide thing. This isn't just my own district or a couple districts in my neighborhood, you know, area. Um, this is this is probably going on everywhere, but I just felt like Minnesota's never really had any sort of like education focused entity that gives parents some information that they need to really get involved at the local level. So it was me. I took a step and and it was just, again, one kind of thing led to the next. And now I'm like, what did I get myself into? Because we, <laughs> um, we've grown really quickly over the last 18 months or so that we've been doing this. Um, and it's really validating. It's like, I think that the response that we've gotten just shows that there was a huge void to be filled and we're filling it. That's fantastic. Now, your mom yourself obviously chose to get involved because there was some, you know, like you said, a, a lack of a education-based parental empowerment kind of organization. Can you speak a little bit to, I know you guys do some events, online forums, um, speak a little bit to the mission and, and what you are trying to promote within our education system uh, and the Minnesota school system. 
Yeah. So our mission statement is is simply that we want to educate and empower parents to be strong advocates for academic achievement, equality, and parental rights, which <laughs> parental rights has now become this term. When I first wrote this mission statement in 2022, very early 2022, um, that didn't have the political charge that it does now by any stretch. And I've often thought that maybe we need to just rewrite our mission statement because my whole point of, of creating this organization was to lower the temperature. And if even our mission statement has now become like inflammatory to some. I like that is not our goal, but our goal is parental involvement. So if I were to replace parental rights, I'd replace it with parental involvement. I think those are pretty interchangeable um, in, in the, the work that we're trying to do. So we want to refocus on academics. That is our number one priority. Um, I am sad to say that this year we looked at, you know, some results that came out again that were not on the upswing after COVID. And when we look at the performance of students, going back before COVID, it has been in decline. And I think it's important for parents to understand that, to even know that that's happening because some parents don't. Um, but then to really start to tease out why is that happening? Um, where are we getting it wrong? And how can we fix this quickly? Because I think my main concern is that kids don't get a do-over. So certainly COVID was like everybody was on their heels. Nobody knew what was going on. And I think we can give a lot of grace to anybody who was involved in those, you know, years of decision making and teaching and parenting. And it was just, it was a mess. But I think that um, there are some things that are not COVID related that are happening in our schools with policy and curriculum that we can get right. We can get better. And we have to, because if you're in school right now and you didn't have a great year or you're a third grader and you still don't know how to read, that has cumulative effects. And so now after several many years before even COVID of academic decline, we're graduating students out of our K-12 system, many of whom are functionally illiterate, to be, to be quite honest. And we're hearing now from the business community, wow, this is a real problem because it started to kind of bubble through the system and now it's going out into the workforce. And I think we've got the attention of adults who maybe don't even have kids in the school district, but they're in the business community saying, what is going on? Um, you know, we used to hire kids, you know, straight out of 12th grade for um, a variety of different types of jobs. Maybe these aren't kids that are going to university right away. And I heard from somebody recently, they own a temp agency and they've had to change their work instructions for the jobs that they're offering to, to graduating students to pictogram form because of the high illiteracy rate coming out of our 12th grade classes. So that to me is like the red flag is up now that there's something going on that we have to solve for because you just don't get a second chance at an education at the K-12 level. So that was our number one mission is to start figuring out where are we getting this wrong? How do we get it right? And to partner with teachers on this. Um, I will say that teachers are also parents, many of them. So they can see things from both sides. They're parents themselves. And so they understand what it is to be a parent in this situation. But it's important for parents to also lock arms with teachers and figure out how can we support teachers being able to deliver instruction and, and do it effectively. Because I think there are a lot of breakdowns right now in policy and curriculum that are preventing teachers from being able to be really effective. Um, and they're quitting. And so now we have a teacher shortage as well. So, I mean, there, there, it's a very thorny like ball of issues that we're trying to untangle. But um, first and foremost, it's our, our kids getting an education. And a lot of times when we, you know, we do a lot of, like you were saying, events to talk to parents about trying to understand the issues or to talk to school board candidates about, you know, what's really going on. Um, we always try to center our, our 
work in the mission of public schools. And I think this has been lost somewhere along the way that statutorily here in Minnesota, like you can go to our state statutes and it literally gives the mission of public schools. I think that should be like plastered on the back of like every, you know, place where school boards meet and anybody who's making decisions about our public schools should really hold that mission statement in much higher regard because that mission statement spells out that the main point of public schools is individual academic achievement and a highly informed citizenry and in a a high quality workforce. Those are like the three things that our public schools are set up to do. And if we're not meeting the mark on those three areas, we have a lot of work to do and we have to figure out where we're not getting it right. So um, I know that there's a lot of like culture war things happening in like the school space right now. And I think that can just be really distracting from why do we send our kids to school? What's what's the output? And um, so that's, again, kind of like our way of Um, trying to refocus the conversation. And it's incredibly hard to do right now, I will say. And I'm sure that it's not unknown to both of you that um, all of a sudden the K-12 space and education has become this culture war, uh, you know, battleground. And it ought not to be, in my opinion, but there certainly are a lot of issues right now that we can't can't avoid. They're there and we have to address them or somehow cut through them to get to, again, what is the heart of what we're trying to do. Uh, School board elections do not get the attention that they deserve. And I will say, this is something that I've noticed with myself, which is when I first got involved in politics, it was the presidential races, Senate races, the congressional races. When I got married and I had kids, my attention and focus on school board elections has gotten more and more intense just to watch them and looking at the candidates. And if and as a parent, I think there's no more important election for inform parents to go into the polls and vote on than school board elections. The presidency is important, Senate, Congress, your local legislator. But in terms of if you have if you're a parent and you have kids, who is on the school board is incredibly important. And your organization, the Minnesota Parents Alliance, has been vetting school board candidates, working on endorsements, and has put out a voter guide. Talk a bit about the vetting your the how you vet your candidates that match your mission and why this upcoming election on November 7th is so darn important for school boards yeah. and who's serves on school boards. We're, yeah, we're in our second year. So I guess I reserve the right to change this as we go. But in our first year, we decided that, um, again, there was a, a lack of information on how to run a quality campaign. So we started these campaign trainings thinking that if we could just educate people who were thinking about running for school board, we could at least give them like the head start they need going into the campaign season so that they're ready. Because again, it's a compressed time frame. So as we, you know, we had a, our first actual like full day of like, camp, we called it a campaign school. We had it in May of 2022. And we had about 80 people in the room. It was a big event. And we it was a full day of people that are, you know, local campaign strategists, people who have done this work probably at like a legislative level, but also at the local levels to just kind of straight talk people. And this is how you execute an effective campaign. And then we also had some current service school board members who liked what we were doing and wanted to come and talk about the realities of serving on a school board. Some people don't really know, like, is this for me? Is this what I'm getting into? And (laughs) what kind of time requirement is this going to be? And, and such. So we, we, put that education forward. And then of that pool of people that attended that training and a couple subsequent trainings and people that had come to us along that summer, you know, month timeframe, we endorsed people that were aligned with our values of refocusing on academic achievement, equality for all students and parental involvement, encouraging parental rights. Um, 
And so we put together a voter guide because we thought, you know, these are themes that I think most parents, the majority, regardless of their like political persuasion, really believe we need to center on. And so when we put this voter guide together, it was our way of saying, you know, there are some status quo candidates that I think have been distracted and had maybe some mission creep in, in the education system and have been participating in that for a while. So you have kind of, you know, maybe an incumbent candidate or somebody who's candidly a teacher union aligned candidate or this is sort of the alternative. We have this new set of candidates that have come forward and these are their priorities. And it was a really easy tool for voters to be able to say, okay, I, Minnesota Parents Alliance, yes, I agree with that. And I, I want to support candidates who are challenger candidates that are stepping in to recenter on these priorities. So that was kind of the move <laughs> and it worked. Um, we had a lot of success last year. Um, we, are excited to say that 70% of the candidates that attended our trainings won their race. And we, great. we promoted our voter guide. So we did some digital like strategy of like, you know, promoting on Facebook. And um, we are excited to say that in the areas where we promoted our voter guide, 80% of the candidates won their race. So it was clear to us that, you know, that lack of education, that void that we filled, we trained candidates on how to do, you know, the campaign piece right and then we educated voters on these are quality candidates that are aligned with your values. Go out and vote for them. Um, that was kind of the secret sauce that worked. And, and so we were excited that of the 120 candidates in our voter guide, we had about 50 of them win. And then we had some other people that weren't in our voter guide that either came to us after the election or were kind of quietly with us, but didn't want to be in the voter guide because they just weren't sure how that was going to play in their district. So that's kind of the model that we hope to replicate again this year. We've done some trainings. We have our voter guide. Uh, we hope to grow this school board cohort year over year. And I think as we, you know, again, we're young. And so people are just kind of trying to familiarize, you know, themselves with what we do and what our resources are. But I hope as we kind of continue this, we can grow that cohort. And we also, um, you know, are not anti-MSBA. MSBA is, for those who don't know, it's the Minnesota State School Board Association. And they kind of do similar work in the sense that they are a professional organization for school board members. And they educate them on their role and responsibilities. And um, they provide a ton of training. They have conferences every year. And the information that they give is valuable. It's important. Um, very few people know like about school finance, which is an incredibly complicated topic. And if you're the average person who steps forward and runs and wins your school board race, you're going to need some help getting up to speed. The learning curve is very steep. So MSBA fills that role really well. Um, but we do think that there's an opportunity that, you know, MSBA has a set of model policies. It's probably the same model policies that your district uses to some degree, or at least it's a framework. Um, but some of these policies are not doing the job. And so we really believe that there's an opportunity to have a different set of policies and not for everything, but for certain things, um, there's some improvement that we can can make, I think. And so our cohort of school board members um, have worked really hard to try to think about, you know, are there better policies that we can write, particularly on some of these topics that just keep coming up, whether you're talking about library books or you're talking about discipline policies or you're talking about things that are chronically, you know, getting in the way of being able to deliver excellent academic instruction. So I think that, again, hopefully we can continue to add to our cohort. We have an election coming up and we're about to find out whether um, we can be successful in a second year. But um, there are fewer races this year. And so it is going to be a little bit of a different landscape because obviously, as you guys know, on your elections, um, there aren't that many other things on the ballot this year. And so for somebody to turn out to their local poll on a Tuesday in November with like one thing, um, and it's probably, you know, their school board or like maybe you have a mayoral race or city council or something like that. 
or maybe you have a referendum or a levy that does turn people out as well. Um, it's it's a sleepier year. And so there are fewer races. Um, but the races that are on the ballot are really important. A lot of the really big metro area school districts have their school board elections on these odd cycle years. So odd years. So um, districts like Anoka Hennepin, it's the biggest school district in the state and they have an election this year. Um, and I, I will highlight that they have an opportunity to like, quote, flip their school board because they have um, one member of their board that is, I think, really well aligned with our mission. But he's kind of a lone wolf right now. And he's he's been fighting an uphill battle for two years to kind of recenter on some of these priorities that we share. Um, he has an opportunity to have three more people that are really, I think, sharing his priorities join him on the board, which would create a majority and they can maybe really drive some effective academic achievement focused change. So we're about to see, I guess, what um, what the voters of Minnesota decide is the, the, the direction for our public system. But um, I'm really hoping that we're doing a good job of educating people on what's at stake and why this is important. Um, and that it isn't, this isn't a culture war, but this is an opportunity to embrace and engage with because we have to get this right for our kids. Um, I think, again, when you're seeing these, just less than 50% of kids in Minnesota and public schools are proficient at math and reading. We have to do that. We have to. Two questions. I live in school district 196. There's a couple elections in my area. What should we watch for? What should uh, our listeners watch for on election day in terms of tracking these results? And where can people go to can you give your website? Uh, I know, give your website again. because We want to talk about that a bit more. But what, what should we be looking for on election day? In terms of school board races, where are some key races? You mentioned Anoka Hennepin. Where are some other big areas in the oh, state where there's going to be some school? District. Well, look at yeah. your home district for sure. So go to our voter guide. If you have a race this year and you're headed to the polls this year, you can early vote or you can vote on election day. But um, apart from your home district, um, I think that some of the big key races, again, are they're big districts. And that represents, you know, thousands of students and staff and millions, like millions of tax dollars. And, you know, it's really up to these six or seven people on your local school board um, what happens with those students and the staff and the money. So I think that um, Anoka Hennepin is a big district, but there are other districts like the one you live in, Michael, 196 is a really big school district, as you know. Um, Moundsview is a big school district. South Wash County is a big school district. Hastings isn't a big district, but they have a race and they have four great candidates that are running that are challenging um, for kind of status quo like union aligned candidates and, you know, like it or not, I think that it's probably a great opportunity to just spell this out in case it's unclear to, to your listenership that um, it's different to say that you don't like a lot of people are like you're anti-teacher, like, because you're, you're saying that education Minnesota has too much influence over our schools and that, you know, union aligned candidates are not what we would want. Um, we're not anti-teacher, um, but we are anti having unions control our school boards. Um, if only because, I mean, for one thing, I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with the fact that um, school boards negotiate contracts, right? Teacher contracts. So um, it, it seems, I know that right now in Moundsview, it's it's sort of a controversy because there are current seated, seated school board members that are in the middle of contract negotiations. They are also running again. And so they're currently endorsed by the same people <laughs> that they're in contract negotiations with. And that seems like a conflict of interest. It's not illegal. They can do it. But a lot of people are uneasy with that. So that's one. Um, the second thing is that the union does not 
it's a very one-sided political organization. And I think that everybody kind of knows that, including them. And I think that what's unfortunate is that there it doesn't represent their membership because their membership is politically diverse. And so we have a lot of teach that comes Great to us point. saying like, our union doesn't represent us in terms of like our po- our personal political views or our priorities in education or even the, the safety issues. I mean, that has been a really pivotal thing this year is that teachers don't feel safe. It's not even that they don't feel safe. They aren't safe. So I just recently um, met with several legislators and I came there with a group of teachers who have been assaulted by students. And Education Minnesota was not in that conversation. They do not want to be in that conversation because the policies that they're advocating for are the ones that are actually like putting teachers in that position. So a lot of the things about non-exclusionary discipline and uh, sort of equity aligned policies that are about not properly reporting incidents or reducing the number of incidents that are reported. Um, you know, there's obviously a trend toward restorative justice practices, but always keeping the kid in the classroom, always returning that kid to the classroom. So if you're a teacher and you have a chronically disruptive or violent student that keeps coming into the classroom every day and restricting your ability to deliver quality instruction, but also physically harming students or you, Um, That's a real problem. And I don't think that they feel represented by their union on those issues. Um, And so I think what's really hard is we're not anti-teachers union. They should have a teacher's union. I think that's fine. They deserve to have a teacher's union. And there's a place for the teacher's union. But it isn't full control of our schools. I I don't think that that because they just don't represent the values and the priorities of all families in the district or all teachers that are on staff. So we just, we believe that there has to be some more diversity on our school boards. Um, I think there's a role for a lot, people with a lot of different perspectives to be elected to their local um, school board. And I think that that's what's really important is right now, it seems that our school boards are very homogenous in their priorities and in their thinking and in their leadership. Um, We are trying to say that parents, I think generally parents who don't maybe share those priorities also belong on the school board. And like, we should have conversations. We shouldn't have 7-0 votes every single time on every single issue. I think that debate is good. It's healthy. And I'm sure, you know, you guys talk a lot about this on your show, and I really appreciate it, is that we've gotten to a point where we just cannot even have constructive debate. And it is so harmful to the process. And it's it's coming at a detriment to our students, because while the grownups are fighting about calling each other racists and groomers and all the rest, our kids can't read. So, like, I really want every adult to really awaken to the idea of, you know, your engagement matters and how you engage matters. The words you use matter. Um, and I just, I started this organization to try to lower the temperature. And I know that like, it doesn't probably feel like that in this moment because there's such a adverse reaction, I think, to our group coming into the space and really challenging. Again, it's a status quo challenge. It's, you know, this is a whole group of people now that were coming into elections that were previously uncontested. And obviously the people that were very comfortable with the situation don't like that. Um, but we're not here to uh, exacerbate the culture war or to, um, you know, kind of toss around some of those terms that I just feel like they're so damaging. And I think there's just a lot of damaged words right now in the K-12 space. Equity itself is a damaged word. I think it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And um, I think that there's there's good equity. And then there's equity that I I just don't think has a role in our schools. I don't think it's 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 serving students or teachers. Um, but you know, I think it's important to have those conversations and we can't have those conversations if we have homogenous school boards that all kind of share views and values one way. And we don't have an opportunity for parental input beyond like, 
I don't want parents like your first your first touch point with your district shouldn't be going to a public meeting and like yelling at your school board for three minutes on a microphone. <laughs> like That shouldn't Correct. be the first time that you've spoken to anybody in your school district. And so one thing we do all the time in like our parent trainings is it starts with like your kid's teacher. Have you ever talked to them? Like a lot of times people go like straight to the public meeting. And it's amazing because it's like you'll ask them if they've ever had a conversation with anybody like down the chain. And they're like, no, no, we were just super mad. And we showed up at a public meeting. And so that kind of thing just has to be, um, we have to re-message on how to engage and how to do it well. I love parent-teacher conferences. My kids do great. And I get to go and, and talk to teachers and take credit and boast. It's a lot of fun. I love parent-teacher conferences. And then what I like to do is I like to tell my kids that if there's trouble, I just, oh, I just spoke to your teacher and I just found out this. So there's a little bit of tension on the way home. And then we get home and I tell them it's all a big joke. It's just a fun routine to have. But I love parent-teacher conferences. It's just a great you experience. more of them. You know, I realize like teachers have a lot on their plate right now. And I think that I always try to like thread the needle between, I think that like more regular parent-teacher engagement is super important. But also these teachers have like 25 plus kids in their class. And so they can't like talk to you every single day or like engage with every parent individually on the regular. And so I get that there's like a fine line between like too much, not enough. But I think that most families are in the not enough category right now. And honestly, like families have never been spread more thin across like right now. I think like families are financially pressed more than they ever have been. They're busy working. Your kids are in a million activities. Like they're just, there isn't time in their opinion to kind of like do those touch point things. But like, I am telling you, parents of the world, have the conversation with your kids first. That's where it starts. Figure out what their days are really like, what's going on in their school life. And then make more opportunities to talk to your kid's teacher, particularly if you have concerns. Like if there are issues that would really upset you or bother you, or you're hearing stuff that's going on maybe elsewhere, but it's like, hey, can you just like let me know if this is, is something that you're going to approach in the classroom? Like proactively have that conversation so we can decide what's best for our family and like what's best for, you know, this, this situation before it happens. Because it's really harder to, to build a relationship after something really damaging has happened or upsetting has happened. So again, like being proactive, I think in your engagement is really important. And then like get to know other people in your district, build relationships with the principal, have a, have a coffee with your superintendent. How about your school board members? Like, have you ever talked to them? Like most of them are really open to like make a time to, to meet with them. They want to talk to you. They want to hear your concerns and, and they, or they should, they ought to. Um, so I think that again, trying to just say that this is a priority parents, we have to spend more time. We have to get more engaged. Um, and it's just, it's a, it's a sacrifice you're going to have to make. So <laughs> like if you had plans to go to yoga and now you have to like meet with your kid's teacher or whatever, like do that because our kids deserve it. Um, they, they need our help right now. And I, I will say that I've had real heartbreaker conversations with families across the state that the safety thing, again, has become really hard for parents to digest because most families are, I don't want to use the word trapped, but they are pretty much like stuck in their geographically assigned local school district um, out of financial necessity. Maybe they can't exit and go to a private school. I'm a homeschooler right now, and I will tell you it is not for everyone. So like I, I am the first person to say that I would not advise homeschooling for every single family. I always um, ask myself whether it's for our family. Um, <laughs> but I will say that I, I think that we have to understand that parents don't have a choice. We have compulsory education in Minnesota. If your kid is between the ages of seven and 17, you have to get them an education. And so if you're having to send them to a public school every day that you know is unsafe, and we know this now, like we've heard it, we've seen it on the news, 
And I think that's a fraction of the stories that I hear that there are fights. There are things that you would not believe happening in our district schools every day. And parents know it because now they hear it from their kids. Um, they have to put them on the bus every day and send them into that environment. And I was talking to some moms and they're like, we call the school bus in our neighborhood the big yellow monster because it takes our kids away and sends them to a place where we don't even feel like they're physically safe. At a minimum, we should be able to assure the, the families in Minnesota that when you send your kids to a public school, they're at a very minimum physically safe in the building to the degree that we can ensure. Um, so I think that should be our highest priority is safety for teachers and students. Um, and then, you know, a close second to that is the achievement. If if you have to hire a tutor for your kid and, and they have to, you know, get reading tutoring, but then you know that they're spending like all this time on so many other things during their day, that's really frustrating for parents, particularly those that are really financially spread thin anyway, to say like, we have to make special time and financial arrangements to educate our kids outside the school day because it's not happening in the building. And so I think that right now, um, you know, parents are grappling with those two issues most. And I think that, again, make the investment that you can in, in developing relationships, because I think that's where it starts. I think this is a relational thing. And we've tried to fill a void as well of parents talking with other parents in other districts, because I think we get really like, you probably know your kids' friends and people on your kids' soccer team or whatever, and you're talking to people in your local community. But when you realize that some issue that you're grappling with as a local community is also similar to, you know, a, a district across the metro that's also dealing with the same thing, those parents should cross-communicate because they can share strategies and they can, it, it is sometimes illuminating to parents when they talk to a different set of, of families that are dealing with the same issue and they've been able to problem solve that way. So we've sort of stepped into that space where, you know, I often partner people and get out in the middle to just say, you should talk to these people because they're navigating a really similar situation. We do it with school board members. We also do it with parents. Um, you've hit on it a number of times and I completely agree that the situation surrounding our education system and, and education as a whole in this country has become very politically charged. We had um, MNGOP chair David Han and uh, DFL chair Ken Martin on recently, um, and it kind of, I think, surprised us all that, you know, 50, 60 plus percent of the interview um, ended up being an education debate. Um, you mentioned also Education Minnesota, which is a kind of behemoth of of an organization spending tens of millions of dollars in races up and down the ballot <clears throat> here in Minnesota. Um, and it sounds, and I, and I appreciate that it sounds like rather than trying to just, you know, distinguish yourself as a anti these outside already existing organizations or policies, you are really trying to give choice and options and resources to parents. Can you speak a little bit between behind that decision making and why it's important just to kind of lay it out and educate parents and school board members on on how things can be should they choose maybe a different path. Yeah, I mean, we're setting up a contrast. And so elections are about choices. And I think previously to a lot of parents and, you know, people that are sort of aligned with our mission stepping into this space, I don't really think that a lot of voters had choices that were all that diverse. I think that probably you're kind of group of people that ran for your local school board were somewhat homogenous in, in their approach. And I think that a lot of them go in with like really just good intentions. This is an active service, people. This is a four-year commitment. It is a thankless job. I will be the first person to say that. This is nobody's get-rich-quick scheme. Like people are doing this out of like love for their community and that they have the skill set that they think can be applicable. So when they get elected and they, you know, go to the MSBA trainings and they start to like kind of know their role, um, there's a training that's like 
it kind of backs them off their their power. So statutorily, like the buck stops with the school board in Minnesota. And I think that a lot of times they delegate a lot of that authority to a superintendent who, you know, has a PhD in education. And the average person who runs for the local school board is like, great, you probably know more about education than I do. You make these decisions. But ultimately, um, the accountability comes from the school board. Like they, those decisions rest with the school board. So I think that the contrast is that you either have sort of status quo school board members who have been sort of like, I don't want to use the term neutered, but like they really have been told that like, you know what, just like kind of step off, like defer to your superintendent on the big decisions, just be there to kind of be a champion and a cheerleader for your school district, um, have this really unified presence. They have this term called like a highly effective school board is one that votes together. And it it presents this unified front for the community that like, yes, we are fully behind, you know, this decision. We all agree on it and we're going to go forward confidently together. I get that. But what I don't get is that if there's something that we disagree on, that we can't have that discussion and that the, the school board may be split on certain things and that's okay. So the contrast that we're setting up between, you know, education, Minnesota's candidates that they prefer because they are really those people that want to vote homogeneously and they want to kind of move forward as a pack, as a group. Um, and I think our candidates who sort of are, are throwing a little bit of a wrench into that process, but I think in a constructive way, I think they're saying we need to pump the brakes here because there's something that's broken that we need to address. And so setting up that contrast has been what our voter guide is about. And it's what kind of this whole movement is about is that elections are about choices and Minnesota needs better choices. We need better leadership in our school boards. I think it's never been more clear. We look at, you know, whether you're looking at achievements or you're looking at safety. Um, I think Minnesota just, they need a higher quality candidate at the local district level. And then I think up the ballot, you know, I think that you guys, uh, I think I'm probably one of the few like local people that you've interviewed on your show. But like, I think this has applications up the ballot because I have seen now some seasoned school board members that are aligned with our mission that are in maybe their second and going on third terms, hopefully, um, that are fantastic. And they, they've they served their community in a way that people really respect and appreciate and want more of. What a great legislative candidate that person might make. You know, I think we need a higher quality candidate at the legislative levels here in our state. I think that that's become abundantly clear over the last year or so. Um, and I think this is a great bench builder. Like, I think having some really focused and purposeful strategic leadership at the local level and having, you know, just the average person get involved there and do that right and do it well could just be such a great pool then of people that might want to go on and serve at the state level later on. Um, so I think that what we're doing has value in that way, too. And I, I hope that we see that over over the next several years. Um, and I just want to end. I know we're a little over time here. I just want to end, though, if we have any listeners who think that at some point in their life, this might be something they want to step into. What kind of our good qualities are or when you're having conversations with parents? What what are what are things that you look for that um, you would encourage somebody to to step up and step into this ring? Yeah, I'm glad you asked because I'm actually recording something after this that is about um, a lot of people now that our voter guide's been out in the mix and everybody's like, great, you're training candidates. We're going to run in 2024. We're thinking about it. Like, how do we get involved? We're going to do a public facing training. Usually we do it like as an in-person event. I'm just going to do a virtual training because there are a lot of people that are asking what makes a good candidate. Do I have what it takes? Um the first thing is thick skin, guys. I'm going to tell you right now that um, right now I just I really have to hand it to the people who are in the thick of it. We've got one week until the election and they are these are close quarters races. I, I think it's different sort of like when you're running at the state level or, or up the ballot that like 
you're literally going to run into these people at the grocery store, like on the football field, wherever, like you're going to see them. And so I think that there's so much hostility and it's so charged that um, you really have to have a thick skin and you have to be really like strong in your conviction of your why, why you're doing this. So I would say that like the first thing is to really get clear about what, you know, what this means to you, why you're doing it and to, to feel confident in that. But beyond that, I think that, you know, there again are a variety of skill sets that I think can be applicable at the local level. And don't convince yourself that like, well, I don't have an accounting background or like, you know, school finance, I'm not great with numbers. So like, <laughs> I shouldn't do this because I'm like, the school finance thing's going to trip me up or, you know, don't psych yourself out of it. I don't think that there are any qualifications other than you're a committed community member. You don't have to be a parent. Um, you could be a grandparent. Um, you can be a community member. I, I say recently that I think that if you have um, a background in finance, it doesn't hurt because so many of our school districts right now are facing like they're in the red. And I, you look at Minneapolis and they're insolvent. I mean, I think that you need somebody and these are multi-million dollar budgets. So if you have that skill set, I think there's a real need for that right now, because I do think that our schools are grappling with financial problems. But, um, you know, I just I, I don't think that there's any sort of like magical qualifications that would make you a fantastic candidate. I think it's the desire to want to do it. Um, and I think that the education that we can provide in terms of giving you some more information about how to execute a solid campaign, um, but also building relationships, you're going to need a lot of help. You're going to need a lot of support. Um, you can't do this on your own. So I would think if you're even somebody who's considering this, start making those contacts right now, like have coffee with people that run your local school district, um, meet with like groups in your community that I think, um, you know, would maybe come and support you as a candidate. I think that that's really important to, to forge local relationships. And, um, I do think that, <laughs> Win or lose, I hear from candidates all the time that running a local race like gives them so much more connection to their community than they ever thought they could possibly have. And it was so rewarding to them. Even if they don't win, they're like, wow, you know, I mean, you're out door knocking. You're going to events that you never thought you would go to. Um, you know, you're really putting yourself out there. And so um, I think that there's there's just a lot of good that can come with more people stepping into this space. So if if you're thinking about it, you should contact us and we will definitely try to give you as many resources and and mentorship opportunities too. I love to partner people with somebody else who's already serving on a school board and I will get out of the way, but you should have a relationship with somebody who's already serving so they can really talk to you about the realities of the work that they do. Um, and where can people find information on your voter guide, this upcoming training that you mentioned, and other resources that Minnesota Parents Alliance um, have? Yeah, well, you can go to our website. So we're minnesotaparents.org. Um, we do have a social media presence, good, bad, or otherwise. We're on Facebook and Twitter and um, Instagram, I guess, like all the places where the cool kids hang out. This is not my skill set, guys. It's like literally my Achilles heel is that I am the one that's like running our social media. So I'll take full responsibility for anything that happens on those platforms. Um, we're a tiny organization. We have no staff. <laughs> so we run on like a shoestring budget with some volunteers. And I think if I had a magic wish list, I would have somebody manage all of our PR and comms because I can't stand social media. I wasn't on it until I did this project. And I'm, I'm forced now to be like on Facebook Facebook and Twitter, and I can't stand either one of them, but it's it's a place where people get information. So um, you can go to those channels and hopefully, you know, get some some posts from us on the regular about stuff that we're up to. If we have an event or something, you'll learn about it that way as well. Um, but do check our website. We have a pretty long list and a growing list of, of resources for parents to just try to educate themselves on some of the key issues that are going on in education. 
Um, and we really welcome people that have diverse views from our own. Um, if you're willing to have a constructive conversation and we can talk about our common goal and shared value of making sure that kids are reaching their highest potential in our public K-12 system, we want to talk to you. And I, I really would rather talk to somebody I disagree with on certain issues than somebody who's just like on my same, you know, wavelength of all the things, because I don't think we get better and I don't think we solve our problems, which of which we have many, unless we start talking to people that we really disagree with on certain things and trying to find where our common ground is that we move forward because I think we're just so we're so polarized right now and we have got to move beyond that um, and I think the only way we do that is by just trying to figure out like where do we have some common ground that we can stand on and try to just like set the other stuff aside you are doing a fantastic job uh, I'm blown away um, that but, from somebody who's like in but, politics I'm but, not in politics and this whole world this whole ecosystem of all the things is like a trip I will tell you I did not expect to to travel on <laughs> I was I texted with Becky during the interview and just said this is gold this is fantastic you're doing a great job and I'm so impressed and I hope that if there's an opportunity for us to talk to you again down the road you'll consider us and we'll reach out to you too but just know this is a place we agree with a lot of what you've almost everything we've said, but one thing I want to highlight is the place to have discussions. That's what Becky and I are trying to do is just to give spaces for people to have conversations and promote a variety of people with different backgrounds. And it's such a pleasure to speak to you today. I'm glad we were able to get it in before election day. And let's stay in contact and just let us know if there's something more that we could promote or if you need a platform to come talk about stuff. You'll, you have friends and allies here, okay? I will. I so appreciate that. And I, like I said, I hadn't really been familiar with the work that you guys were doing on this podcast. And I listened to a couple of your interviews um, with people that I think you disagree with. And it was, I just really respected the way that you did it. Um, and I also respect that you guys like sandwiches, Becky. I'm a number 12 on the Jimmy John's all day long. And Michael, That's great. I can't respect that, but we can still have that conversation. So <laughs> I Before, love it. Since we're on food, I have to quickly ask, uh, ham or turkey? Oh, well, it's the beach club on the turkey, right? So, like, and I know you're a yes. well, I'm gonna go with the turkey. Another win for turkey. Another win for turkey. turkey. That's so all right. We can find common ground on, on deli meats, and we can build from there. There you there's go. No agreement on, hey, there's no agreement on ham. Let's be clear. No, There's no agreement on ham. Oh, I'll go to war. I'll go to war. I'll go to war over ham. All right. Thank you so much, right, Christine. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Right, Thank you bye. so much. Becky, we spoke with Christine Troyan with the Minnesota Parents Alliance. Give me your take. Uh, Christine was very impressive. I think it's really incredible that she kind of uh, built this in the last two years out of her own mind and will and desire. Uh, I, I always appreciate anybody who's willing to step up, get involved in policy, elections, whatever it might be. Um, and she truly seems like she's, you know, a mom who saw – the schools failing our systems and failing parents. And, and you know, uh, I thought it was also really incredible to hear her talk about post high school. You know, I think a lot of times we talk about education and it's just within the bounds of K through 12 and kind of just uh, then they go off and they're adults and somebody else's problem. And that is exactly what she was saying. It is somebody else's problem. Our companies are getting an un un uneducated workforce, um, and it's having detrimental impacts to to our companies and to you know our economy as a whole. And so, 
it's we've seen time and time again of of failures with um, ACT scores and reading and math comprehension and all of these different tardy issues or truant or truant issues. Um, our 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 kids are being failed right now, and I'm grateful for an organization like the Minnesota Business Alliance and Christine for stepping up, seeing that issue, and uh, trying to work to fix it. Becky, I was happy that we had the opportunity to speak to her. Minnesota Parent Alliance is parent-led, parent-powered, as they mentioned on their website. Every election cycle, there are races down ballot that don't get attention. And one of the advantages of an off-year election is that down ballot races get more attention. And so it's important that groups like the Minnesota Parent Alliance step up and provide information to voters. I will say to you that as someone who got into politics in their college years, school board elections were not on the top of my list. They were not the ones that I was hyper-focused on. But as I've gotten older, had got married, have three fantastic kids, school board elections and the races and what the focus is of school boards has become more and more important to me as my kids have moved through their educational journey in life. And to see, to have an organization like this that's out there, that is approaching it from the perspective that Christine is, parent-led, parent-powered. It's so important. I will also say, and I think she touched on it a little bit, that there has been a lot of noise, a lot of distraction in this world of school boards and interactions and, and parents and involvement, that some of that started during COVID. What I like about her approach is that she's encouraging participation, not just by screaming at school board meetings, but by having people have interaction, having parents have interactions with their child's teacher, having conversations long before it gets to somebody screaming at a school board meeting. And that's the type of approach I think you and I agree needs to happen. I think that what we've tried to carve out in our podcast here is we're trying to reach out to people who can be thoughtful, who can disagree with people, but not be disagreeable. And I liked her approach. I liked her style in the way that she's presenting what the mission and what the goals of her organization does. It's very inviting. And I also think the approach of not focusing on the noise. There's just a lot of parents out there who aren't interested in picking fights with the school board, but who want to be engaged. I'm not interested in showing up to a school board meeting and screaming and yelling. What I, what I, the type of parent I am is I'll show up on the night of parent-teacher conferences. I'll be engaged. I'll know the name of my kids' teachers. I'll interact with them. And this is the niche I think that Christine has mapped out is the targeting the parents that are exactly like me. It resonated a lot with what her organization was focused on and her philosophy and approach that parents should have with school districts, school boards, and with teachers. And it was a great message. And I was very impressed by what her organization has done and where their focus is and what they can do down the road. There's a number of components to the Minnesota Parent Alliance for candidates for school board, where a lot of that can be applicable to other candidates running for office. Running for school board is a great way to be involved at the local level. And depending on the school district, some of the school districts are pretty big. You're talking about some massive school districts. And so being a member of a school board in this climate, in this day and age, is not a small task. But to have an organization out there that seems to be working really hard to get parents in the right frame of mind and also finding candidates that they can work with 
is just she's hitting it out of the park. I wish her and her organization all the success. I hope to have her on again. We can talk with her again on other issues. And I just will to dial down one bit more. The training aspect is so important. It's good to see that candidates out there are getting the support that they need through training and other work. And it's great to see someone like Christine step up and be willing to take that on. And uh, she's had a lot of success. And we hope I hope to have her on talking about maybe post-election, talking about what worked, what didn't work in some of these school board races. I bet she'd have some tremendous insight. And uh, it was a pleasure to talk to her today. Absolutely. She's certainly, uh, as you said, passionate. She is a great voice for what, you know, the efforts here are trying to to change up the school boards a little bit. And just to have the conversation. I mean, I think she really aligns with what our goal is there is to have those conversations. And like she said, you know, it's you can embolden or, or you know, emphasize your own stance and thoughts on an issue simply by having a conversation with somebody on the other side and, you know, having being willing to learn from them and also just, you know, see how to either incorporate, find those places where you can meet in the middle. And and I think that's a really important thing. This is not an us versus them, but like doing it for the future, for future generations, for our children. And so um, definitely a great voice in the space. And I hope to hear more from her soon. I couldn't agree with you more, Becky. And I think it's one of the things that we've tried to strive and do on this podcast is to talk to people and to have conversations and to hear Christine talk about the importance of people having the conversations with, you know, parents having conversations with teachers and people that work at the school district and members of the school board before people walk into a meeting and scream and yell is I couldn't agree with that message more. It's one of the problems with social media. I think that social media has created environments where people are much more willing to yell and scream and have conversations. And why I think she was such a good guest is her philosophy and her leadership approach to working with her organization, I think fits in exactly what we're trying to do in this podcast. Democrat or Republican, we don't care. What we want is we want people that want to come on our podcast and talk with us and have discussions where we can have, you can talk, I can talk, nobody's screaming at each other and no one's yelling at each other. It's so important in this day and age. And once again, I'm glad that we're able to create that type of space. And it's good to see an organization out there that is taking that philosophy to heart and it's their approach. And I wish her and her organization all the success. And again, as I said earlier, I hope to have her on again sometime because I think there's a lot we can learn and there's more attention that should be given to her organization because they're doing, I think they're doing great work. And if uh, go find your ballot, if you have an election uh, next Tuesday for a school board race in your area, go to minnesotaparents.org, find more information or where else you want to look for resources. But um, these local elections are really important. So you have uh, a referendum, school board, city council, whatever it may be, vote next Tuesday, November 7th. It's almost November. Wow. Almost November. Now I'm going to let you take your victory lap. Oh, that's right. Yes. Oh, playing dumb. Oh, I had no idea. Oh, that's what? right. Oh, it is a victory lap. And what's a victory lap related to? It's related to football. Football. Another big week. Another big week for my in the Pick'em League. And I and I, let me just say this to you. I was texting with my sisters because I'm in a family fantasy football league. And I figured out who I was. I'm like Ricky Bobby. I'm either first or last. And I just, there's excellence everywhere. Not going to get his, I'm not going to use the exact quote on the podcast. I'll just say there's excellence everywhere. And this is just another example. This week I pulled ahead. I'm now tied for first place. You are. In the Pick'em League. Where are you again? 
So I'm I'm still sitting very comfortably in third. Um, you did your your this week. You have eleven right so far. I have ten. So uh, you know, just, just slightly under. It's not you know. I need to keep gaining, not losing, and so uh, that lead is widening. Um, I got within three. I am now down by seven. It is hurting my soul. Um, but there's still time. So just to be clear, eleven is bigger than ten. So I'm I got more right, and I gained and I picked up games. Correct. So you're going in the wrong way. Uh, it's it's very true. There is a whole host of previous podcast episodes where you're talking about your strategy, your progress, and you didn't you just failed. You just uh, where'd you go? I'm back. Sorry, you glitched out there for a second. Have you thought about hanging it up? Have you thought about quitting? Nope, never. Not a quitter. You know, it's an option. And not for me. But thanks for the very kind of you. I just want to say, this is a safe space. If you, once we're done recording, if you just want to just say, hey, we're done with this segment, I want to be done, we can assign your team. We can break it up. If I'm um, going to go down, it's going to be a mess of my own making. So we'll just we'll just continue to push forward, push on, and uh, I have faith that next week maybe things will look a little better. That's the way a lot of Vikings fans are feeling right now. In the interest of disclosure, I'm wearing full Viking garb because I usually wear it the day after a Vikings victory, but Kirk Cousins was injured yesterday. And so it's a, I feel like I'm a little bit of mourning too, because uh, uh, I think there's a good possibility he might be out for the season, which could be problematic for the Vikings overall. But I did, the Vikings did beat the Packers yesterday, which is incredibly important to me. My wife is a huge Packers fan. I believe your spouse is a Packers fan too. Correct. Um, and so it was a big victory, uh, for the Vikings and for me in the household. I do a lot. I'm a very good loser. I'm a very poor winner. And so when we were winning yesterday, it felt good just to do a lot of end zone dancing and just show off a little bit and just, cause that victory is, it's like I'm on the field, but I did lose. I, I need to be consistent. I did lose in my family's fantasy football league. I lost to one of my sisters and she is not gonna. Forget about it, and I'm taking a lot of uh, heat about it. But I, I still feel I'm in. I'm still in good position. I'll make the playoffs. I very well likely come back in and win the championship once again. But it was a big Sunday. But again, for Vikings fans, we're watching and praying and hoping that Kirk Cousins will. Uh, the injury is not as severe, and the season is not done with. But Becky, one season that we know is over with, your season's over with. All right. Well, only time will tell. I do also have to um, visualize for our listeners. Full garb here means hat, shirt, and shoes that you are wearing Viking in Vikings attire, correct? Yep. Full regalia. Head to toe. Head to toe, full regalia. Love it. Well, good luck or good job this week. Watch out next week. That's all I got to say. All right. Thank real. you. Bye. We want to thank you for listening to The Breakdown with Broadcob and Becky. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the platform where you listen. You can leave a review or give us a shout-out on our website or across all social media platforms at at BBBreakPod. The Breakdown with Broadcob and Becky will return next week. Thank you again for listening.